Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with legal operations and technology thought leaders from across the legal ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I also lead the legal operations and technology team at Netflix. On today's episode, I'm joined by Stephanie Shulio, Vice President and Chief Legal Officer at MSA, the safety company, and Mateo Sanchez, Legal Ops Specialist at the Clorox Company. We'll be talking about the challenges and opportunities of a legal ops leader supporting a small legal team. Also, the successes and failures of being the first to lead an organization's ops efforts. Stephanie and Mateo, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. So we're talking about the experiences of those leading ops efforts for small legal departments. I know in Clock in the past, we've defined small legal departments as up to 50 legal professionals. Some organizations might define that in different ways, but we'll talk more about that. Stephanie, Mateo, let's start with introductions. Would you introduce yourself? Tell us the size of your legal department, and then I'd love to hear from each of you about what inspired you to take this role and be this kind of leader at your company. Stephanie, let's start with you. So I'm Chief Legal Officer and Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility and External Affairs at MSA Safety. We're a global manufacturing company headquartered outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we're solely dedicated to safety technologies. When I joined MSA 11 years ago, I came in as an attorney in litigation, not as a legal operations manager, but I quickly realized how much of legal operations really helps do all of the work that attorneys need to do. So I had started working on some of our legal ops work, whether budgeting, database management, outside counsel guidelines, our first e-billing systems, all of that was work that came out of my role as chief litigation counsel. And some of that was inspired by the fact that when I came from a law firm, I was one of the few attorneys that went in-house and actually kind of missed the billable hour. The billable hour was a little bit of my my security blanket. You could always tell where you were demonstrating at least some amount of commercial value back to the business. So I really wanted to think hard about how do I demonstrate that the work that I'm doing is valuable and to be able to make things less expensive, higher quality, and more predictable for the business and to drive really great legal outcomes. That's how I came to legal operations. And I've been a uh, big fan of professionals in this space ever since. Our department is 16 people, and that includes legal ops professionals, other professionals, attorneys, paralegals, assistants, everybody. So we're small and lean, but we cover a lot of ground. In addition to your traditional legal work and compliance work, we have product safety, insurance risk, government relations, corporate social responsibility, and crisis management. So it's a really great team that I work with. Sounds exciting. And what a journey that is from litigator to safety blanket, billable hour, to getting the most value out of an in-house legal team in your corporation, to an ops-minded leader. That's a real journey and very interesting changes over that journey as I wouldn't call that a straight line. 
Mateo, over to you. Tell us your role about the company and the size of your legal department and really what influenced you or inspired you to take this role on. So I am a legal operations specialist at the Clorox company. I think everyone has heard of the Clorox company, especially given the global pandemic that we're currently in. So I won't go into too much about what the Clorox company does because I think we all have a good sense of what Clorox is about. Yeah, you saved us during the global pandemic. We loved Clorox. Yeah, you know, I had family members, my mom, can you get me some Clorox wipes? And I was like, ah, stop asking. But, you know, I'm a legal operations specialist at the Clorox company and our legal team is roughly 60 members. And that is attorneys, legal support staff and legal specialists. And that's also domestic and international. So based on the clock guidelines of team size, I'd say we're roughly a medium to smaller size team, but we get so much done. So, you know, I joined the Clorox company because I had previously come from Uber and at Uber, you know, I joined and was really excited about the opportunity to really have a foundational growth impact. There wasn't a lot of processes in place, procedures in place, technology in place. And there definitely wasn't a legal ops focus, although the CLO and certain paralegals did have the legal ops mindset, they didn't really have the time to focus on it. So I was hired to really bring that foundational growth and have that foundational growth impact. And, you know, that was four years of really groundbreaking growth, change, wins, losses, big failures, big wins. And, you know, after four years, it's such a hyper growth tech startup. I wanted to make a big change. And that change presented itself in the form of this legal operations specialist position at the Clorox company. Main focus at the Clorox company is the opportunity for transformational growth. So going from that foundational growth mindset to a transformational growth mindset was really enticing for me. There was legal ops policies and procedures. There was existing technology. And I was really excited to take those existing formats and transform them and currently working to do that. And it's, you know, hasn't really let me down. It's been a very exciting role. Sounds exciting. Small, medium size. And you're right, Mateo, it's different when you're starting it and foundating it versus coming in with a pre-built, there's an infrastructure there and you have to work with that and drive people towards new goals or new heights with those tools. So what a great phase you get to be in and flex different muscles. I love that you mentioned change. That's really the topic of our next question here, which is around influencing through change and what would probably be my only tattoo if I ever got one themed from this job. I would get change management tattooed on my inner arm because it is the hardest thing. Change management is really something. It's a framework of getting people to do what you want but feeling empowered to do what you want because it's really what serves them best and what will serve the business best. So I look at change management as some parts, psychology, empathy, sales, marketing, and of course, communication. Like that's the thumb of it is being able to communicate everything all at once to all people and have it resonate. So let's talk a little bit about change management and really the people skills that this role requires, especially if the person is not familiar with, say, the practice of law, with company culture, or the way things have been done in the past or should be done in the future. 
Mateo, let me swing back to you. How do you influence those that are resistant to change and show them that your role is to help them succeed? I think first and foremost, you really need to know what you're talking about. And that's hard when you are working on a million projects, you're running a mile a minute, you have meetings all day long to really focus on knowing exactly the message that you need to convey to the audience and how to convey it. You also, I think you need to be inclusive of the team. You need to be accepting of other ideas and you need to make sure that you're listening to all the voices at the table because the one person who's not speaking up a lot may have the best idea. So really engaging with the team, regardless of role, attorneys, paralegals, support staff, they all will have really good advice and that will really help you with your change management goals. I think you also need to identify your legal ops champions within the team. There are some people who, even though their day job is an attorney, they get really excited when it comes to legal operations initiatives. And just giving them that, even if it's just a 30-minute check-in every week to get their input, their advice, really just when they're having a conversation with their colleague, they may talk about that. Like, hey, have you started using this technology? Why not? And because you're having those check-ins with them, they're able to convey and convince those other team members to embrace the change or technology or whatever it might be. I also think, you know, you want to really, like you mentioned, Jen, you mentioned the psychology of change management. And one thing I think is important is to realize that one size does not fit all, that you really need to make sure you're having conversations with more than just one person on the team. Also, one last thing, I think operating in a vacuum it will kill any change management. If you think that you know best and you're not really incorporating ideas, leadership's requests, you're more than likely your whatever you're rolling out is going to fail. And that's a lot of time and effort that just goes out the window. Love what I heard here. Competence, inclusivity, including not just getting the quiet voices at the table, but making sure you hit everyone and not letting the squeaky wheel only get the grease talked about finding those champions and kind of converting them to your mission quickly and getting them working for the mission. One size doesn't fit all and don't operate in a vacuum. Whatever you're going to do down on the ground tactically, make sure leadership knows. Make sure they're, oh gosh, make sure yes. they're bought in, <laughs> their questions are answered and they're behind you. Because if you don't have that leadership backing, you will operate in a vacuum and failures, they hit harder that way. Stephanie, anything there resonating with you in terms of how you go about influencing people in change management. Absolutely. And I really love the piece on inclusivity. That's something that's so important, especially right now. In addition to the things that Mateo mentioned, and especially focusing on that individual influencing skill set, I'm trying to think about structure, the department and company environment and incentives that leadership is able to set. And if you're an ops leader, you know that the support of the GC and the law department leadership team can make a huge difference. So we start talking about legal ops from the moment that you come to interview with our law department. You don't have to have a huge background in legal operations, but you do get asked about your willingness to work with legal operations. And it's a signal from the beginning that this is something that's really important to the way that we work. And you can tell the people who are willing to learn and willing to stretch themselves and the ones that are a little bit 
resistant to it. So it's really from day one when you meet our department. It's baked into our staff meeting agendas and what we cover and what we talk about. And it's the first slide that I present when introducing teams to the law department that we work with a deep commitment to legal operations. So anytime throughout the business, when I'm introducing the law department, we talk about how we're business managers of legal resources, not just a team of lawyers, that we want to be business-centric and customer-focused to help drive business objectives through the work that we do, how we operate in a collaborative way, how we want to invest in our department's talent, and that from a continuous improvement and legal operations focus, that's built into the department culture. So we always talk about it's through a deep commitment to legal operations that we help the business drive profitable growth while managing the company's top risks. In addition, that's something that we recognize and call out as success on projects during staff meetings. It's purposely very rare that you'll hear us celebrate a legal win on the substance of the law without also celebrating an accompanying ops skill set, which just makes sense to legal operations managers because we know that there's so many ops skills that go around the substantive legal work that help us deliver excellent services to our business. We ask about op skills during our one-on-one meetings. It's what gets recognized for direct reports and in part on performance evaluations. And so it's something that I try to think about very structurally. And in terms of any change management, there's always an individual component and there's a structural component. And I've tried to focus on the structural piece. And when I didn't have the ability to directly encourage those kind of activities, before I was chief legal officer, those were the kind of things that I would specifically ask our last general counsel to help do. And I tried to make it so that he didn't have to think about those things himself because he had a lot of things to think about. But if I saw an opportunity for him to encourage something or to send out a thank you or a recognition, I made it my job to help him be a champion. So if you want leadership to actively support your programs, Making asks of them in signaling and structure and making it easy for them to put into place might be something that is helpful. And when we think about how to work with change management within our business clients, we've tried to take some borrowings from design thinking. So starting with a survey of our clients, getting back to them, is this the right problem that we're trying to solve and working through the principles of how we're trying to solve it, having a mid-project stakeholder review where we say, we've analyzed it. Here's what we think we're going to put in place. Will this solve the problem? Will this help you work better, faster, stronger? Does this resonate with you before we go forward to actually fully implement the plan? And our business teams have been tremendously receptive towards working with us. Initially, I thought, you know, is this a good use of a business client's time? And they have been very willing to help us along the way when it's something that we're introducing for their teams. Stephanie, what you laid out is almost textbook change management communications strategy. For anyone listening, write down everything she said, because that is it. So she has 
incorporated legal ops into the new hire onboarding process. So you are essentially indoctrinating people into this team's capability, the value, the service we offer. It's your first day. And here's what a legal ops or tech function can do for you. And then you're threading a lot of this through at the one-on-one level. You're communicating out again in in sort of a marketing sense at any keynote or addressing of the department you're doing, always threading that needle. It's constant communication. So there's a sales and marketing component there that I think we can easily forget or you can get overwhelmed with the tactical day-to-day stuff once you start running projects. And I loved your note on how to leverage your executive leadership. So any general counsel is going to be super busy, a lot on their plane of view in the day. Write the communication, give them the first draft, tell them the date and say, hey, be helpful. This is how you can help me. Message this out on Mondays, March 3rd, because we're rolling out change management. You know, We're starting the big presentation on Friday. When they hear it from you, it'll help me come in the door after and talk to the group. I love it. It is so fundamental what you just laid out. One thing I'll add, the more that we highlight outside of the department, the operation skill sets that we're using, it really resonates with the business. So if I think about our president of one of our major segments, he came from manufacturing operations, continuous improvement. He values that. Our HR VP is a Six Sigma black belt. Our CFO certainly cares about the finances, our VP of product development. All of that is under what he does. So saying, you know, hey, we won this summary judgment motion or this brief, they can understand it. But when you start to highlight the hows that fit with how they conduct business, they get really excited. Yeah. You're making linkages. You're making linkages cross-functionally that are universal, that are beyond legal. This is about operationalizing the inner parts of the business. And I always say this to my team and internally, and I even told my general counsel recently, sometimes finance likes us more than legal. And that's okay because we're turning the contract into 160 data points. The financials are going to be some of those and they're thrilled because that's less time scouring a document or maybe the system can deliver it and they become... There are number one fans behind our legal stakeholders. So find those champions across the business and use universal language. It's not all about legal, legal, legal. And legal didn't invent ops and tech. It's just the niche that we're in. So make it universal. I love it. Sales, sales, sales is what I'm hearing from you. And related to sales, and and you're already talking about in your sales pitch sort of, or your marketing around, or your change management, you're demonstrating value. You're conveying that to the teams in legal and across the company. So often in small legal departments, when it comes to resources and what we're given when we get started, we're not always given a blank check or an unlimited budget. After all, these are corporations. It could be a challenge to demonstrate value with limited resources when you're trying to optimize a process or implement an effective solution. Some of that is tech and then support it ongoing. Stephanie, let's swing back to you. How have you been able to deliver results, demonstrate value with a limited budget or at times the small team that you've worked with? When I thought about how to go from this being a passion of one, a passion of mine, and something that we could spread across the department and demonstrate value in this, much of what 
we do is grassroots. So if you're trying to just get off go, if you're starting or trying to get people to rally, it was probably four or five years ago when we had basically a hundred years worth of law department talent retire. And we had to think about that was you know, a quarter of our department at the time and just a handful of people. We brought in two people who very purposely had ops skill sets, even though they weren't ops leaders, a certified project manager and Lean Six Sigma Black Belt. And then the second person was somebody who's specialized in finance. And as we brought in those roles and had additional attorneys come in, everybody had new ideas. So it became apparent that having everybody just get together and do a brainstorming session with what do you see? What do you want to fix here? Even without calling it ops was something that was energizing to people to think about. They got to choose what they wanted to work in and what they thought made the most sense. And that grew in a very grassroots sort of way. And I didn't focus too much on, are we fixing the absolute right problem or the absolute highest value problem? It was just fix anything to start the momentum building, or I should rather say improve anything to start the momentum building. Sort of that, you know, we can do this and it can start with you. So the first year it was anything you want to come up with that is an idea that you have. And we went through a process to kind of down select what programs we worked on in terms of impact and complexity and value. But we started with anything you have comes to mind. The second year we focused on anything that was efficiency related. And then the third year we did a client survey and focused on finding solutions to the top identified client problems. So not waiting for that perfect opportunity to demonstrate the highest value, but just getting started, that helped us get... So getting started with the lowest value. Getting started with anything that people are willing to move forward with helped us gain some momentum. We've also borrowed ways of working from our business clients. We use an NPD style monthly dashboard review process and a light... <laughs> scope sheet and some basic red light, green light, yellow light tools. And we've used existing resources like Jira or Microsoft Power Apps. So rather than going outside and buying something that's specialized in terms of technology, we try to build something that's right-sized for our department or the legal risk. And people internally like that, that you didn't over-engineer something if it really works for the solutions. But I just love seeing the ideas that come from the team, both on the what's and the how's. Some great points in there. And again, a really great methodical approach to starting out. Year one, just do anything. Talk to people, listen, hear their biggest pain points and size it. If you can do that as a one woman show, an army of one, then you do that. Plus maybe one other project. And you prove the value and roll up your sleeves and go. And then you got more organized. Year two, you put a theme around it. Well, we're going to fish for efficiency projects now. And then by year three, you're surveying. And now you're, you've worked with a few people. You're on the map a bit. And now you're going to pull their wants in and look for patterns. Do three business teams 
ask for the essentially same thing and get more structured in your delivery around that. I love that. And you don't have to be a CLO to do that. You can be in that contracts manager role in your org right now where there's no legal ops, but you want that legal ops role. You want to convert your role and transform. That's what you do. You grab anything and go to your manager. I want to try this. Give me some bandwidth here to do 20% of my time on this and let me show you the value. And you build incrementally year over year. Again, textbook. By the end of this, I'm going to try to hire you because this is all so good. It's such good content and great methodical way. Mateo, how about for you? You've been the one man show. You've been that one with probably no budget because you're starting. What have you done? So, you know, I think this is a challenge regardless of the company. It doesn't matter the size of the company, whether it's a large company, a legacy company, a startup. This really is a problem, I think, across the board. And one phrase that you hear a lot in legal ops is no cost, low cost. And yes, I'm doing the air quotes, you know, which really translates into you need to make magic. A lot of times the business may identify a problem, but they have no idea how to solve it. They have no idea what technology could be thrown at it. And this kind of ties into the previous question where you really need to know your audience and you need to dial into skill sets and eagerness from members across the board. So, you know, if you have someone that you work with occasionally in the business that's constantly saying, you know, I really think that this contract process could be fixed. I just don't know how. More than likely, you know how. You just need to dedicate that time to really partner with them to figure it out. And really just knowing again by networking and really just understanding what someone's skill set might be. Like, for instance, I just had a conversation with someone who was talking to me about Power BI and never really used Power BI, but I am interested in dashboarding. Power BI is a data analytics tool. It's a competitor product to Tableau, to Domo. It's like the dashboarding of your dreams, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't really been exposed to that, but in chatting with this individual and learning how they use Power BI, if I hadn't put myself out there, I really wouldn't have gotten that context and insight from the person in the business. And I also think that it's important to understand the ask. A lot of times leaders, I guess I'll say, may have something that they, for instance, an example at Uber, I remember when our CLO went to a conference and she was all excited about this dashboard that one of her peers had shown her and how it showed her this and it showed her that. And wow, I just really want to get that. And you know, without a lot of context, and, and yes, I was put in touch with the person who created that. And all it was, was an Excel spreadsheet that the person had embedded slicers and pivots into. So and it wasn't really anything spectacular, but you know, you could spin your wills for a very long time trying to create this dashboard on the fly when it really was just an Excel spreadsheet. So, you know, make sure that you don't spend a lot of time trying to build something out of nothing when you don't understand the ask. A lot of times in legal ops, you are asked to build something out of nothing. So know what you have and how you can manipulate it. Last point I think I'll say is really take advantage of your peers. Organizations like Clock, there's a lot of useful information. There's a lot of people who are experiencing the same issue and they're more than willing to talk to you about how they've resolved it. I'm hearing a theme across you both of scrappiness, of working with what you've got first and mastering that first before you come in hot with a bigger budget ask, right? Like you don't want to roll in in the first couple of weeks and go, I think we need a new contract management solution. 
<laughs> and ask for a budget, maybe that big. I mean, that might work somewhere or you might walk into an environment and they say, hi, it's your first day. We need a CMS. Please go do that. And in that case, that's what you go do. And I've been in that situation as well, where I walked in and had marching orders, but I love the scrappiness. And could you make Excel sing? Could you prototype the fanciest dashboard of someone's dreams first in Excel, which maybe is free or Google Sheets, maybe that's free as part of your enterprise tech and prove out the idea with the prototype with that stakeholder first. And you test them to Stephanie's earlier point. Is this what you want? Is this what this looks like? Is this what's in your head? And when you have that, maybe you could make a bigger ask incrementally as you go. And I just want to throw in some sprinkles on top here, what I often do for demonstrating value. And this relates to the org you're in. You have to know your leadership's goals in terms of an ops role. What do they want out of us? And if they tell me we want to scale the legal department, more automation, less hiring, or scaled hiring and growth in line with the growth of the business, I might come at them with a proposal and I say, well, if you invest, say I'm making up numbers, $100,000 here now over the first three years, so 300,000 in total in time, this is going to augment 10 contract managers roles, a third of their time. So that's three contract manager roles saved over time. And I call that legal ops math, but you can take those measurements and make those guesstimations and show them you're thinking there. And look, it's imperfect. But I always say this, even if you're 90% wrong and I save a fraction of that, we're still ahead. We're still scaling. So don't be afraid to get into a little bit of that legal ops math. Let's switch gears here and talk about one of my most favorite topics where all the learning happens, moments of failure. Yes, it is true in life, professionally, personally. It is when we run into walls, fall down and get hurt or injure ourselves literally or figuratively. That is when we learn the most is it is human brain science. So many of us are expected in these roles to be super forward thinking innovators, but sometimes things just don't go as planned such as life itself. Our knowledge as professionals really comes from that trial and error. And the biggest lessons come out of those moments of defeat. Mateo, tell me your biggest failure. I want you to go big. If you have to anonymize names and companies, please feel free to do so. Why was it a failure? And would you have done something differently? Or did you need that to get that experience and that wisdom to go forward with? Wow. Failures. I keep a whiteboard on my wall of all those failures. And no, I'm just oh, I was, um, I'm like, that's awesome. He wakes up every day. He watches a David Goggins video on YouTube. And then he's like, I failed. I failed. I failed. He does a hundred burpees and then he does legal ops. Yes. The burpees are key. One comes to mind and it was a tech implementation. It was a very sexy technology new technology, very exciting. It involved one of the really buzzwords for a long time in legal operations, which was AI, artificial intelligence. And, you know, I'd have to say where the failure began was through that excitement because I was excited. Leadership was excited. The team was excited. We did a pilot and that excitement kind of carried through the pilot. So I was like, what could go wrong? But (laughs) exactly. So, you know, through the pilot, we did have some points that, you know, hey, it'd be great if the technology did this. And, you know, a lot of legal ops professionals will know this when you're working with a new piece of technology. A lot of times 
they're very eager to take your input and make changes. When you're working with legacy technology, it's like, mm, yeah, we'll put it on the roadmap. Well, it's on the roadmap. We used to call that the yellow brick roadmap uh, uh, because it doesn't I'm really go. That. Yeah. So we had some ass. And once we actually went live and really dug into the technology and started using it, we had questions from finance. We had questions from leadership. We had, you know, just questions coming from all over the place. And it really became my full-time job to focus on this implementation, which a lot of times it is, you know, you have 20 different hats that you wear. Here's where the failure came in, I would say. I wasn't really dialed into the work that my team specifically was doing to make sure that this implementation was a success until it was almost too late. And what I mean by that is in a one-on-one, one of my team members said, you know, I am really stressed. XYZ is happening. I can't focus on this. And it turned out it's because they were spending too much of their free time or their time at all on this implementation. And, you know, I was still in the clouds thinking that everything was going well, but I wasn't really dialed into what was going on with my team. So that's really, I think, where the failure kind of came from. And through conversations with my team, through hard conversations with the vendor, we eventually got to a place where this implementation was successful. The team was able to admin the solution again with success. Um, but you know, really when you realize that your, your actions are affecting your team in a way that isn't a positive, I consider that to be one of my biggest failures. It's a good example. And I think the learning I'm getting from you is any big tech implementation and especially a big one that is sort of unproven AI machine learning over contracts. This is new stuff. We don't have nine years of precedent. We're all doing it for the first time ever. And so you probably need all team resources on the ground, navigating, making those decisions. And you can't fly out and just let people kind of lean back and execute because it's, exactly. it's been done a hundred times prior in the region. So that's a really good one is to stay on the ground. So Stephanie, how about you? Tell me about your biggest, most glorious failure. You said it earlier that progress isn't a straight line. It looks like the stock market. You have some ups, you have some downs, you have to look at where you're heading directionally. So there have been continuous <laughs> failures or, you know, rather times where I felt like we've made progress, slid back a little, made a little bit more progress, slid back a little, but each time we tried to get back to it and double back on the problem that we were trying to address. I can think of times where we didn't move quickly enough or where we maybe got a lackluster result because we had a superficial solution to a complex problem where we sent out a policy and got confused because paper doesn't shape behavior where we thought about things in aspects of compliance rather than if the business people had to pay for your legal help, if you weren't a captive service provider, do they see enough value in what you're doing to actually seek you out and pay for it? Probably the biggest failure that I can think of is the first time we did an internal client survey. We didn't get traction with implementation for all of those reasons. And then several years later, we tried to focus again on the very same issues, but with different people, different skill sets, and with that momentum moving forward. So Trying to solve the same problem multiple times as the department's total legal ops acumen and sophistication grew 
And as our business client's interest in pairing with us grew, those small wins helped us to generate internal credibility and credibility with the business that helped us deliver better results. I'm hearing a theme here from you. It's timing. It's everything as the expression goes. And that momentum, you can have the right project and it's what people want, but if you don't have the right people first to do it and the right momentum behind them, it could fail. Like For all intents and purposes, it looks right, but it always starts with the people and having those skills out front and the right timing. So take that advice, people. It really is everything. So flip the script. Let's talk about some wins. Mateo, tell me about a moment of glory, how you navigated that. And was it expected? Some of my moments of glory, they're, they're total accidents. Like I just took a guess, like let's try building an app over this workflow. And then it took off. And then the big ones I went for plummeted. So tell me about a moment of glory. I've had a lot actually, which I'm really proud of, but one sticks out and it was during my time at Uber. We had a CLM solution that the business kind of forced on us because we were dragging our feet on deciding what tool does legal want to work with. Um, so the business forced our hand and we still had some, I won't call it infighting, but you know, discussions. Debate. Debate. Thank you. And we could not make a decision as to who should be leading the effort. How should it be led? And finally, our chief legal officer said, you know what, Mateo, as someone who's somewhat outside of the transactions world, why don't you try to project manage this and see if you can get, get it across the finish line? So I partnered with a really brilliant transactions attorney who was very outspoken. I was kind of the bad cop. She was the good cop. Good strategy. Yeah. And it really did work because, you know, when I would attend meetings, people weren't used to seeing me. They were used to seeing her because she was part of the team. But, you know, we were able to build out workflows, use this technology. Most of the team embraced this technology. Now, of course, we had hiccups, but as many legal ops professionals will know, CMS and CLM in general is a very tricky, touchy, complicated topic. And especially implementing technology is really difficult. So that was a huge win for me and for the Uber team and one that I'm proud of. You know, I believe that failures inform wins, inform failures, inform wins. These are all related. They don't happen in a vacuum. So you stepped up, you accepted the challenge that it sounds like your CLO put on you. Mateo, you might not have thought to step up. Maybe you were distracted doing 10 other things, but listen to those signals from key people that challenge you say, why don't you do this? Someone said this to me at Netflix, like, why don't you try a pilot of that doc management solution? And I was like, huh, okay. And I did it and it failed gloriously in six months. But what that failure gave was assurance of the direction we moved after. I was like, well, there's no longer doubt that that will not work. So get out there and fail everyone and market it and message it to everyone and keep learning forward. And they'll think you're brilliant. I promise. I promise. Because it's, it's actually more creative and innovative to do so. It's all about messaging. All about the messaging, which Stephanie sounds like you have mastered the messaging. Stephanie, tell me about your biggest win. I love little wins from unexpected places. Yes. And we have had some great wins in dollars and cycle time reduced and other things of the really quantifiable nature, but probably a moment that made my heart sing was when my assistant noticed that we were getting charged on a contract that it was almost like the old cell phone contracts where if you went 
over your minutes at, you know, in your daytime that you got charged some exorbitant rate. And she noticed this in one of our programs that if we just had a different contract in place up front, we could save some money. And it was so energizing to me because she spotted the issue independently. She worked with them on negotiating it. And it wasn't a huge amount of money that was saved, but it was just really magical for me to see somebody independently find an issue that they wanted to fix, carry it through conclusion, and to realize that good change and good progress can come from anywhere. Anywhere, any corner, any size, any role. It's about empowering people. And what you've said earlier, it's very important to celebrate every win and shout every win out as part of your marketing strategy. It feeds that funnel. It creates momentum, which just begets more wins and failures to learn from. On that note, we're at our last question here. The theme is really about empowering our peers. Now, look, not everyone in legal ops has a full support team around them and, and other staff and personnel. Sometimes we're alone for a minute. And it's why I've gravitated to Clock so much for that community, for peer benchmarking. And some of these have evolved into friendships too, so that I don't have to navigate everything alone. I'd love to hear from each of you. What are three pieces of advice that you would give to any new ops leader on how they can make the most impact regardless of company size, resources, budget, or team? Mateo, three pieces of advice. So I think first and foremost, you got to build community. So it kind of ties into what you just said. You know, looking at clock, looking at other organizations that you could find really useful partnerships, friendships, just bouncing off ideas. Also, You know, Stephanie, you really nailed it when you mentioned interviewing. When you interview as a legal ops professional, really, really try to get to understand how leadership views legal operations because their support is critical. Also, just look at tasks with an open mind. Be curious because there's so many ways to solve a problem. And if you want to connect with me, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. I love it. On your note, number three, looking at a task with an open mind, I call that we are the black hole of projects. Whatever you all don't want to do in legal, I'm like, send it. We'll do anything regardless of our level, hierarchy. Give us anything. If it's crap, great. I love that. Don't be picky. Just bring it all in and build a value, a mountain of value out of it. Stephanie, three pieces of advice for a new ops leader or a lonely ops leader. (laughs) And let me say, I'm actually not on LinkedIn. I think I'm the only person in the universe. You need to change that. I know. I know. My email address is just my first name dot last name at Gmail. That's my personal email address. So um, seriously, reach out to me. Three pieces of, of advice. First, don't take it personal. I used to think that it was a personal failure on my part. If somebody didn't see merit in an idea that I was passionate about and that I thought had business value, I would think, where did I fail in my explanation if they don't see it? And then I realized there are so many other things that go into decisions and change that sometimes people just need time. But whatever it is, it's not you. You don't have to take it as a personal failure. Second, I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I've had to really become okay with messiness. Sometimes I used to, and honestly would still get down if something wasn't as 
awesome as I wanted it to be, if on all of the clock competencies that we weren't advanced on that piece of legal operations. But somebody told me that, you know, even the departments that you think are the most advanced, they have spots where they're, you know, the people out in front and they have spots where they're still working on it too. So I've learned to be okay with that messiness and the fact that you're at different levels of maturity in different parts of your legal operations programs. And then finally, help people see your positive intent, your intent to help the department, your intent to help the company, and your intent to help individuals within the department, not just something that you really want to work on. And that's something that I've really tried to have shine through, that this is really something that's of a benefit to the community. I love that. And what a range you both covered and couple that together. And it is a solid framework for six things to think about. I love don't take it personal. And I love progress, not perfection. You have to be this weird mix of perfectionist, sadist <laughs> and get, get stuff doneist to do this work. So balance that out and make sure you measure progress and celebrate those milestones along the way. If you just have one end goal in mind, you'll be unhappy. So we have to milestone our work so that we can, again, I keep going back to the point, building momentum. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. I'm Jen McCarran, and I'd like to thank Stephanie and Mateo for your thoughts today. Learn more about Clock on our website, clock.org, or follow us on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. You can catch this and all episodes of Clock Talk on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Until next time.